When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a massage therapist that talks too much, feuding wedding guests, returning texts you've been neglecting, and a confusing wedding invitation. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about left-handed table manners. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript with guest Julianne Stittick on self-assessment for optimum performance. Performance and being your personal best. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm feeling really happy today. <laughs> oh, please do tell. <laughs> Big old smile on the face because my cousin went to Bridgeside Books the other day and got us set up with a local Vermont bookstore to be able to provide signed copies of Emily Post's Etiquette, the Centennial Edition, to our audience. So we have a very easy way of doing this. If you want a personalized copy, we will do that too. You just need to include the name and any specific message that you are looking to have in it. But Dan and I are so thrilled to be working with Bridgeside Books it is so easy. I had a friend test out the link last night. Works just fine. Yes. <laughs> so we already have one signed book order. It was really great. The the Bridgeside reached out to us. They were like, we got an order. And I was like, I know. I sent my friend to do it. <laughs> but it was so great. Dan, thank you so much for stopping by Bridgeside on your way home the other night. This is something you and I have wanted to put into place for a long time. We didn't know how easy it would be. And it man, was it easy. <laughs> it was. And thank you so much for giving Giving me the credit. I feel so good. You put a smile on my face. Talk about the power of a compliment. Um, did I did I give you credit or did I steal your thunder? <laughs> no. I, well, I, I, I was excited to also make this announcement on today's show. But the, the feeling that you had in sort of your enthusiasm for it and the, the ease with which it all came together was exactly how I felt leaving the store. I had that sort of jaunty, you know, step <laughs> that you get when you're feeling really good. Oh, I did good things today, and it's the end of the day, and now I get to go home to my awesome family. Like, I bet it was a good night. <laughs> well, we had talked about wanting to do this, wanting to find uh, a local bookseller who could handle and process inventory that would be close enough to us that we could get to them and sign copies of the book that could then be mm -hmm. mailed out. And... I had known the owner of Bridgeside Books one or it might even been two owners ago. So I had in the marketing meeting said, I've got the perfect place. I think we could do this. <laughs> 
And then it occurred to me that I didn't know the owner there anymore. It so had been I, sold I, to someone new. <laughs> during the pandemic, someone took on running a local independent bookstore and her name is Katya. I met her for the first time just a couple of days ago, but I was just guy off the street walking through the door with what I didn't know was a recognizable idea. So I thought I might be kind of explaining what we were hoping to do. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, they were so professional. So together, they were very familiar with this kind of thing, made it very easy to get it set it up and get it going. And the fact that some of that ease and professionalism that they have displayed has reflected positively on me is great, but um, <laughs> I can I can pass that credit right along. And like you, Lizzie, I'm really excited to be sharing that link. And also, like you, I'm excited that it's going to be supportive of a small independent bookstore right in, in, in our community. Oh, no, that's a, a really big plus to it. I know some people have asked us, why don't you just do it yourself? And the truth is that the signing and the prepping and the shipping of all those books actually does eat up quite a lot of time. And while we would, we would love for Emily Post, you know, another small Vermont business to get those revenues going and everything, we also really, really appreciate the fact that local bookstores are able to provide this kind of support to authors who don't always have the time to be able to do that much shipping or or that much detailed work or to keep that much inventory on hand. And so it's something we've wanted to do for a really long time. And it was really amazing, I think, to build this connection. Dan, my hope is that we'll be able to do it with more than just this book. <laughs> like, it would be it would be amazing. But it's it's so great to have this kind of support and to feel like it is in our communities, even though Dan and I live about an hour away from each other. Um, Waterbury is still very much so, <laughs> I feel like, local community. The Burlington metro area. Yeah, like it's like what I want to support, you know. And so it was really exciting. We had the double excitement that one of our former interns actually works at this bookstore. So that was really cool. We didn't know that. And that was a really, really fun surprise. So Shout we out just, to Maddie. Hi, yeah, Maddie. shout out to Maddie. But a big thank you to Katya and the team at Bridgeside Books for wanting to do this and for taking it on. And we really hope that this provides you, our dear audience, with an easy and awesome way to get your copy of Emily Post's Etiquette, the Centennial Edition, and to get it signed or personalized, because we know that all of you will be buying multiple copies to give away as gifts to people. But I'm, I'm just, Dan, I am over the moon about this. It is so nice to have this little piece of the puzzle put into place. So thank you for taking the time to do it this week. And hopefully our audience will be stoked to be working with Bridgeside Books too. And is this the part where we promise to make the link available on all our social media accounts, oh, and it's on our coming. Patreon? Yeah, so it's already, if you want a sneak peek, you can go straight to our Instagram at Emily Post Institute on Instagram. And it is in our link tree already, even though we haven't sent out the announcement about it, but you can see it very clearly labeled. There's, a, um, you know, it's four signed copies. Technically, signed you can buy an, un an unsigned copy. Yeah, technically, you can buy an unsigned copy here, too. But we know many of you have been asking us for signed copies and how we're going to be able to do that when 
you know, publishers and bookstores don't do a lot of book events these days anymore. And so we might not be coming to a city near you on a big book tour for this one. And so we were really, really excited to get this signed option locked in. Um, but Instagram, our link tree is the place to go to it. You find that link tree in our profile, really easy, one click. It's the very top link that you'll see. So it's easy to find. And in the coming weeks, we will certainly get this link out on our website. Uh, we can easily have it to all of our wonderful subscribing, sustaining members over at Patreon. But we are we are so stoked to get this out to y'all. We really appreciate your interest in wanting signed and personalized copies of this book. When you're doing a centennial edition of a book, <laughs> you definitely think about these things. One of our concepts, yours and mine, as we were producing this book was that we wanted the book itself to be an artifact that people would want to have. Yes. And keepsake. We understand that books are playing a different role in people's lives. People still love books, but people don't keep libraries and display books the way they did even 20 years ago, even 10 yeah. years ago. And the book itself being a, an item of significance, being a beautiful book, being a, a, a book that you would want to keep and treasure and maybe hand on someday – I think having the option to get a signed copy of that book is a really important part of that. And Thanks. it was nice to to get this final piece of the puzzle in place. It's something that you and I have both definitely been really hoping would be as easy to do as it's going to be both for us and for anybody who wants one. Well, Dan, while I am really stoked that we have all of this set up, there is another important thing in our lives that we do weekly. And I think it might be time to get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst, on Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute, and on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is titled, Too Much Talking. <laughs> I'm sorry, that title has me, like, at hello. All I can picture are, you know when toddlers are at that age where they start telling you, like, I don't want you to sing to this song anymore, and things <laughs> like that. This reminds me, too much talking, mom, stop. <laughs> it gave me a little snicker, too, Lizzie Boast. <laughs> our question asker begins. Dear Lizzie and Dan, new listener to the podcast here. I am enjoying it very much, and currently I'm working through your backlog of episodes. Thank you for such a great pod, covering such a wide range of topics in a succinct and engaging way. I am writing with an etiquette mystery of my own that I would love to get your opinions on. As of the last year, I've started getting regular massages as part of a self-care routine. I book my monthly appointments with the same massage therapist each time. He is so good at what he does, and I couldn't be happier with the service. As I've been a client for a while, we've naturally built a rapport, and we'll have friendly back-and-forth conversation throughout the session. He asks me about my work, my commute, favorite music and hobbies, etc. And that is, unfortunately, becoming a bit of a problem. I feel obligated to hold up my end of the conversation, reciprocating a question when it is asked to me, etc. I would like to fully zen out and even fall asleep during the session occasionally. The conversation is pleasant, and we have a lot of common interests. It would be so welcome under any other circumstance, but during my hour-long session, I would prefer a moment of quiet. I've been a client of his for over a year, so I feel it would be awkward and even rude to suddenly stop engaging. I also think it would be odd and not very nice to book with a different therapist, and I don't really want to since he's great. In past sessions, I've playfully and gently dropped hints that I wasn't really up for conversation by saying things such as, gosh, it's been such a long day. There's a very good chance I might just fall asleep. Haha. <laughs> but it's no use. He will undoubtedly initiate conversation, which I politely have to engage with. Is there a sample script I can use here? I do not want to hurt this therapist's feelings or seem standoffish or cold, but I would also like to just quietly enjoy my sessions. Any thought you could provide would be so appreciated. Sincerely, looking for a moment of zen. Looking for a moment of zen. This is too much talking indeed. <laughs> and very reasonable, very reasonable space to want to ask somebody to stop talking and totally understandable as to why it would feel uncomfortable. And I'm almost bummed because you've already done the thing I would first think to do, which is to start the session by saying, gosh, it's been such a long day. I might just fall asleep. But I think I would now be a little bit more direct. Gosh, it's been such a long day. I know we usually chat, but I would really like to just 
silently get a massage today if I could, or I would love to not feel like I have to engage and really, really release and relax during this session. I know we normally talk, and so I didn't want didn't want you to think that I was all of a sudden, you know, just silent treatmenting you. Um, but I think I, that's the level I would notch it up to now at this stage. But I still, Dan, my, my go-to answer here is to, to go for the request of the experience you would like during your massage. Um, just the same way a therapist will often check in and, and say things like, is this all right? Is the pressure good? Stuff like that. Um, I think it's okay for, for you to make this request of the experience. I would second that. And I thought you were going to say something about how when you work with a, someone at a salon, you get to tell them how you want your hair cut. That's another good and example. It's, yeah, It's not about telling someone how to do their job. It's about giving them enough information to do their job well. And I, I certainly think that's a an avenue of approach. I was thinking, as I always do, about sort of different tiers or stages of engagement that you could escalate through. And one version was something very similar to what you just said. I was thinking about the sample script that was given. Gosh, it's been such a long day. There's a good chance I might just fall asleep. Mm-hmm. I think works very well without the ha-ha at the end of it. That you could use that exact same language, but be a little more direct in terms of your tone and the way you present that information. So Mm -hmm. it's not, oh, this is just something I'm saying as we have our pleasant back and forth, but I'm really giving you information. And the tone of my voice and the fact that I'm taking it seriously lets you know that you get to take that seriously as well without Mm -hmm. going all the way to the point where it's a serious problem, something I need to talk with you about. Yeah. The other thought that I had, and this is sort of tough advice to give as an etiquette expert, but I want to think about bad conversation skills. Mm. And I I think that even the the kind of preparatory, I'm a little tired or I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to zenning out a little today, Mm -hmm. paired with responses that were neutral, flat, or not necessarily reciprocal in terms of their tone or asking a question and response after you've been asked a question. It's like not engaging well with whatever does come your way if conversation is trying to be stoked, yeah? Exactly. The the short answer, I think, that doesn't leave a question open for someone to respond to or that lets them talk but doesn't set you up to need to add more to it. Mm -hmm. I am a talker. I always want to talk about the next option or (laughs) respond to the thing that you say. And sometimes just letting someone else have the last word is – the cost of the exit. It's what, it's what you have to do to really enjoy that moment of silence. And that that's not always an easy thing, particularly for someone who's got polite conversation uh, <laughs> mechanisms that, that yeah. function almost automatically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like trying not to shake someone's hand when they reach it out, but not quite as rude. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> but you're fighting that natural instinct that that hand is there. I know what I'm supposed to do. Someone just asked me a question. I know what I'm supposed to do. Totally. Totally. I, I don't think it's bad though, cause I don't think it's necessarily bad to, to dial back the conversational engagement, you know, in order to, to reach this particular goal, but to still give it the minimum required of, of, you know, an acknowledging response, but kind of that's it as opposed to an engaging response. 
I almost missed a scheduled phone call with you about a week ago because I fell asleep in the dentist chair getting my teeth cleaned, which I'm I still baffled that you were able to do that. <laughs> I would have thought it was impossible, but something I think about um, toddlers and six months olds sets you up for taking naps just about anywhere at any time. <laughs> but I think also part of it is that with someone cleaning my teeth, there is a little bit of that conversation going on. I know my hygienist very well. She's awesome. Her grandmother lives right next to where the Emily Post Institute used to be located. Oh, cool. And we chat, but because she can't do her work if I'm chatting, it's an exercise <laughs> for me in not replying or keeping my answers very short. And it was listening. I, I zend out. <laughs> I fell right to sleep. It happened about a week ago. <laughs> And that might be harder to do if you don't have dental tools in your mouth slowing you down. But maybe <laughs> if you can imagine me in that dentist chair looking for a moment of Zen might be able to to use that funny image as a reminder to to keep responses very brief if if you even make them at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that clearer ask at the start would is something that most most therapists they understand, they get that sometimes people just come in at a different point. You, you are not the only person who wants this kind of an interact or who wants to create this kind of lack of interaction during a, ther a massage therapy session. So I also don't think that it's a terribly bad thing to be asking for during this time that is very much so you time, you know. I'll tell you, Lizzie, one other thing that I wanted to mention in response to this question is just essentially an, uh, a little applause, a little golf clap for <laughs> Moment of Zen. The benefits of a regular massage, I've talked to my parents about it. I, I think it's a lot like a good oil change for your car. I think oh, gosh, of it is yes. maintenance for the 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 body that we drive around in, that we spend our time <laughs> in. and having some sort of regular maintenance schedule for how you take care of yourself, one that might include a regular massage or a good relationship with a massage therapist, I think is something well worth considering if it fits into your life. And it was thinking about that relationship with a good massage therapist that also made me want to include in this answer. I think it's really wise that looking for a moment of Zen is working to cultivate a good relationship with this person because mm -hmm. Much like finding a really good mechanic for your car, it is a really valuable thing to know mm -hmm. people that can that can help us take care of ourselves and the things that are important to us. And maintaining those relationships well is a really good idea. So I, I think this question is well considered. Mm -hmm. And that level of consideration gives me a lot of trust that looking for a moment of Zen can communicate those needs and those wants and and can move this relationship in a direction that it's going to work really well. I want to close us off by saying that I also think looking for a moment of Zen can do good by putting a lot of what they appreciate about this relationship and, and the rapport that they've created into the start and the end of the session so that the greetings are still really friendly, even if you do ask for a silent session. And the, the closings are still really friendly. And maybe even on either end, you could have a little bit of that chit chat that you normally have, you know, little depends on timing, um, when next clients are leaving, when next clients are coming, that kind of thing. But I do think that keeping all the rest of the interaction still very positive, still in that kind of 
normal rapport zone that you guys have been in when you're asking for the session to be, you know, without that conversation is a good way to let this person know that, you know, it's not that you find them annoying or anything. It's just that you, you want to save that type of conversation for outside of the actual massage time. Looking for a moment of Zen, we totally sympathize with your looking for a moment of Zen, and we certainly hope that our answer helps you be able to achieve that. And finally, when a problem shows up, face it at once, calmly, reasonably, and honestly. And remember that one of the best rules for good mental health is talking out your troubles and problems with someone whose opinion you respect. Whoever it may be, talking is one of the best tonics there is for good mental health, which will make our world a better place to live in. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our next question is titled Wedding Guest Worries. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I am a longtime listener and I love your podcast. My partner and I are in the beginning stages of planning our wedding. Hey, congratulations. Congratulations. I have a large family on my mother's side. She's one of eight. I can relate. And there is some tension among her and her siblings. A few years ago, my grandfather passed away, and there were a lot of issues surrounding his will about who was and who wasn't included and how much influence one of the other siblings had over him in the division of the estate. The rift is threatening to overshadow our wedding, as they all can't be in the same room with one another. My fiancé thinks everyone would be on their best behavior as it's a wedding, but based on the huge fight they had at the funeral and subsequent interactions at other family events, I don't have much confidence in everyone getting along. I'm only close to about three of my aunts and uncles, and the majority of my cousins on that side, including those who are children of siblings my mother is estranged from, and these are the family members I would like to invite to the wedding. For the record, my cousins and I have stayed out of the drama, and all of them are over 18, with only one cousin still living at home. My mother says she supports us with whomever from her family we invite, as this is our big day and wants us to be happy. My fiancé says excluding some of my relatives and including others isn't appropriate and we should invite everyone, but I disagree. What would be the best way to handle this situation? Is only inviting some members of a family unit a breach of good etiquette? Sincerely, Wedding Guest List Woes. Oh my goodness. Wedding Guest List Woes. I am really sorry you're facing this situation and hope that our answer helps you get it resolved so that you can go back to being really excited about your wedding and planning all of the other things that I think are going to be really the things that you end up remembering from that day. The shortest possible answer I can give to the question of is only inviting some members of the family unit to a wedding, a breach of good etiquette, is that, yes, it is in some ways, but (laughs) 
There's no real right etiquette answer here. This is a very complicated situation with enough factors in play and enough competing fundamental etiquette principles that I think that in the end, you're going to end up getting to make the choice here that makes the most sense for you and your spouse. Lizzie, help me out here. There, there are two competing etiquette thoughts in my mind. One is that ultimately you get to decide who to invite to your wedding, that a guest mm -hmm. list for a wedding is a personal choice and mm -hmm. you make them for all kinds of reasons. So that's up to you. Mm -hmm. And the competing etiquette thought is that as the fiance here has expressed, there is the very real situation that when certain members of a family are excluded and others are invited, that can feel like a slight to people and it can cause real rifts in families that can last much longer than the wedding itself. And I think those are, those are both things that are true and that they're, they're in somewhat of a conflict here. There's a competition between them. Do you have a clarifying thought, something that can help yeah, me out? Yeah, I would have phrased your answer the other way, that okay. no, you don't have an obligation to invite these people to your wedding. You really do have complete control over that guest list, which you technically said, but you said the mm. answer as yes, but here's the caveat. I would lean much more heavily on the etiquette that talks about how it's really up to the couple who and and sometimes that gets extended to the people who are paying if you know it depends a little bit on family dynamics but that that guest list really is up to the couple and there are so many situations where an entire side of a family or parts of a side of a family can't be invited for various reasons. I would have loved to have been at my one of my cousin's weddings, but he only invited the uncle and aunt level, not the cousin level, because that was their budget restriction. And it wasn't because any of us weren't close with him. We're very close with him. It wasn't because he didn't want us at the wedding. He expressed to many of us that he, he probably was closer with some of us than with some of his aunts and uncles, but that this was how they best felt to, to handle the situation. And I did not hear a single complaint among the cousin group about this being their strategy from anyone. We all really understood this is their choice and they're working with two families and balancing a single budget. And that's just how it goes. It does get a little bit harder when there are tough family dynamics. And when I'm thinking about a couple trying to prepare for a really big party and a really big celebration, I lean really heavily into giving advice that's about making that couple comfortable. It's like one of the biggest decisions they'll ever make. The last thing they want to be worrying about on their wedding day is the family drama that really exists within that upper generation and hasn't really hit the lower generation. So my advice to this couple would be to proceed with caution that you do want to really think about the players here. I think it's really smart to recognize that you guys have tested the waters on family events a number of times. And even the, you know, even the funeral, which is something you would think people could be really respectful around, but really you've got a lot of people grieving, which means they're not operating at their best. They're not operating often at their full capacity. And then there are these follow-up family events where it hasn't gone well either. I would really be looking at that and saying as much hope as I love to put into people, as much as I think weddings do tend to bring out really good things in people, I think that there are a lot of things that could also 
easily ruin a day that has a lot of importance for you on it. And I think that is heavy enough and important enough to keep as a, as a decent weight on the other side of the scale. I think that you send the invitations. If you, if you choose not to invite everybody, you send the invitations out. And if people have questions, if they get upset, you can talk with them and you can say, listen, we had to make choices and they were really tough choices. And this is what we came up with in the end. And I'm, I'm sorry that it's impacted you this way. But I think that the reality is the behavior of a lot of these people is why you can't trust and feel confident bringing them to this event. I'm not sure you have to get into that when you explain to them why, but that that is the reality. And I think that not trying to put the greatest hopes out there, but working with the reality for an event this big does, it does come down on the side of important. No, I had focused on a very similar detail. I liked how you use that word. The, the waters have been tested at family yeah. events. <laughs> yeah. I, for me very much the, the fights at a funeral just put up red flags. And I was saying to myself that that really gives you a lot of room to make your own choices when people's behavior has essentially been disqualifying or been bad enough that it's something that you can really look at and say, you know, I, I just wouldn't want our wedding to turn into that kind of a scene or situation. Right. And this group of people hasn't proved able to get through an event like this without that happening mm-hmm. or to get through a family event where they're all present without that happening. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think you just get into really dicey territory if you start trying to make conditional invites. People Mm -hmm. can come if you can put this away for a while. That's almost impossible. And I I think does give you a lot more latitude in terms of making that choice. It's tough for me in that when we're talking not just, though, about that behavior being disqualifying, but that you might end up essentially choosing a side in the fight depending on who gets invited. I don't know if the, the aunts and uncles like where the fall, where the fall line is between them, (laughs) our wedding guestless woes, it feels more connected to are in that family schism. And the layering of those different issues together makes me think that even with that decision, I think being one that's very fair for you to make, I understand the fiance's instinct here being a little, Mm -hmm. maybe even further removed from the family, just thinking Mm -hmm. about it conceptually, that families Mm -hmm. are so important. We have this old expression that the blood is thicker than water, that there is a very good chance that your family are going to be the people, if we're lucky, that are going to be there in your life no matter what, when you need them and when times are tough and that you can get through things just based on those family relationships being strong. And sometimes it's the ability for people to all come to weddings and just grit and bear it that allows the the time and the space for relationships to be repaired, for new generations to pick up those relationships. If the sibling generation can't, maybe the cousins can, that there are complicating issues in terms of the realities of people's long-term relationships within the family. But if those are already breaking down or have broken down, in many ways, I think Wedding Guestless Woes is best positioned to help the fiancé understand if we've crossed a line where where that's not a a reasonable expectation and that it's really worth making this wedding just about this wedding and not trying to trying to fix family problems that might not be fixable. Cause the other thing that I'm thinking about here too, is like, I can remember just before a very dear friend's wedding, 
there was a rift between her and her uncle developing the bride, the bride and the uncle had a rift that was developing. And there was a big question about whether or not she would actually uninvite him from the wedding, which is worse than than just not inviting someone to begin with, because you really just don't take away an invitation that you've already issued unless it's really for like a safety reason. And it was interesting to see the bride come around to the place of there were enough other siblings of the uncle who could who could manage him and kind of be there and create the distance so that the bride wasn't really interacting with him much throughout the day, but that it didn't become a big thing. Mm-hmm. And that's one where I, I think it actually really worked to have him included and not create that that distance and that space, even though these are two people who do not talk to each other ever. They never interact anymore. Their relationship is effectively done. But he was at the wedding and he did behave himself. We're talking about a handful of people here. I mean, if only three out of the eight are are there, you got maybe five people who are potentially feuding. That's much harder to manage. And it's, I think, probably one of the reasons why you hear me coming down heavier on the side of we've gone past the point of, you know, kind of control it and hold it in for a good four hours throughout the ceremony and the start of the reception and then move on. You know what I mean? But that was that was sort of my last thought on it. I think it is an incredibly tough position. Give yourself and your fiance a hug that you're dealing with it because yeah. it is really tough and be kind to each other through that toughness, I think will will make it easier as well. Um, just constantly validating and recognizing that this is a hard thing until you, you get to the answer you can you can both feel really confident with. I know you said last thought on it, but I have one oh, more question another? for you. Just, <laughs> totally. No, I'm really wondering what your thoughts are on inviting the cousin to your and not the aunt and uncle to your. I kind of love it. I'm just going to put it out there. It makes me really sad for the three aunts and uncles who are close, but because they're close, you might actually have a better chance of, and again, we don't typically expect. And again, we don't typically explain to people why they aren't being invited to something, but family can be really close. And sometimes just like with my cousin telling me, hey, we couldn't invite the cousin here, and I'm really sorry about that. It gutted me. That helped. That helped me feel really sympathetic to his situation and understand what was happening, even though no wedding guest invitation is guaranteed ever. I actually think you might do a better job by inviting the cousin tier and explaining to the three aunts and uncles what the deal is and why you aren't, but that you you wish you could, but it was easier to draw the line this way than to draw the line at inviting three of my eight aunts and uncles and their would, respective partners. Is there a situation where you would maybe invite the aunts and uncles that you wanted and all of the cousins and exclude? Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that is so on the table. It like just it's totally an option. Because as I said, sometimes it's just about, you know, this couple and who they feel are really supportive and who they feel are really going to contribute to their big day. And not contribute financially, but contribute in terms of being good guests, showing up, participating well, putting their own stuff behind them to be able to focus on the couple for the day. And if you really don't think that people can do that, I I don't think they are smart people to then invite to your wedding. And if that means that the line is the three aunts and uncles that you you can know and trust and feel good about inviting, you invite. And then the kids that you invite, the cousin level that you invite, that might be it. I would expect a little bit of 
pushback or questioning to come your way if you do it that way. But I, I want to encourage and give agency to the idea that that is okay to do. And I really liked the sample script that you offered at the start of this answer for being ready for that conversation or those questions if they come up. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Wedding guest list woes. This is a really tough situation. Yeah. And we do hope that our answer helps you to navigate it and that it is in your rearview mirror at some point in the near future. And you can really focus on celebrating this very special moment in yours and your fiance's life. Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Let us too keep the faith. Let us break bread together. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This question is titled Texting Trouble. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Do you have any sample scripts for re-entering a text conversation that maybe has been neglected for a length of time? Should I ignore the delay and start fresh or acknowledge my absence? Thanks, Anonymous. Okay, just to give credit to my dear cousin on the other end of the phone here, this is like not a problem you have. <laughs> this is really? this is something you could achieve decently in your texting wheelhouse. The awkwardness of your texts and if the communication actually comes out clearly is more what we deal with with Dan's texting trouble. I could tell some really great stories from Dan's earlier dating life, but life, excuse me, but I will hold back right now because I promise. I have no game, no text game <laughs> no at all. No text game whatsoever. It took us a while to figure out texting between the two of us, and that's just because we need it because we work in two remote offices. But figure it oh. out is generous. You have figured out what I mean when I do X, Y, and Z. Oh, yeah. D- Dan does the type of stuff, guys, where he sends like the automatic text because he's driving or on a thing, but he sends the automatic text that has nothing to do with with the message I need to be receiving from him, but it just is a placeholder for, I'm clearly busy, I can't be there right now, like, start without me, basically. (laughs) Only it's, I'm driving on my way, is what I get. (laughs) It's the closest thing to what I mean. (laughs) I know, I've got to show you where you can customize those in your iPhone. Anyway, okay, back to Anonymous's question. I go two different ways with this. I think with some friends, you can totally just start fresh and just jump into the next thing. I do think that with other friends and with other family members and stuff that it's nice to acknowledge the length of time. Oh my gosh, I can't believe three months went by since we were just texting about our conversation above. Usually you allude to something in this thread that's, you know, right above things. And then start on, you know, what the next thing you want to say is. But whether you acknowledge it or or not, I think is so contextual that it's like it just it's so about that moment 
when you're reaching out, like what was the last thing you had dropped off on? Was it really important? Did you just miss something benign or, you know, did you not respond? It's, I really think it depends on, on what that last exchange was and where you're at now and what you're reaching out with, you know, like if I had left you hanging on something, Dan, I'd probably be a little more apologetic when I'm reaching out to like ask you a favor or something like that, you know? But if I'm just like saying, hey, I'm probably just going to say, hey, 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 I know it's been a little while. Let's catch up again, you know? Or like, hey, I know it's been a while, but I have this one specific question for you, you know? Like I think different strokes for different, not folks, but scenarios. No, I was thinking how much context matters for yeah. something like this. And the example that I was thinking of where conversations do go stale and you wouldn't want to try to re-engage them. <laughs> I'm going to go into my um, somewhat public life, but uh, my <laughs> fantasy football league text group. Oh, I love where them. The conversations are very specific. They're about things that do not matter at all. Mm -hmm. And they're usually very detailed discussions about very small things that don't matter much and the back and forth happens. And if you're not in it, if you're not part of it, trying to pick it up a day later or two days later is just, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's out of proportion with what was being discussed. It was so lighthearted and people have moved on from it. So <laughs> th those are the, that was the first thing that came to mind was I just look like a really old man texting. If I try to come back and re-engage that conversation, it's over, it's done, and it's it's out the door. And if I re-engage that thread, it's with something new. It's about today's news or the player that just got injured or the question about the, the draft this coming weekend. It's not – it wouldn't make sense to go re-engage the conversation. Other times, like you say, where it's more just me and another person back and forth – if I've really left something hanging, if something was going on and there's a question that was unanswered or a conversation that had a little more import or um, it, it where it made sense to acknowledge what was happening before, before picking up something new or reengaging that thing that was happening before, I think a little note and, and I like some of your language per above or as we were saying or can't believe this took two days, but this is what I would say to that. I think it's reasonable to mention that time frame as you re-engage if it, if it makes sense, if it's reasonable. So I wouldn't say every time, but I think there are a lot of times where it would naturally make a lot of sense both to pick up the conversation again. And if I was picking it up after a while, I think it would make sense to mention that while <laughs> that's gone by. So anonymous, there you have it. The answer from a prolific texter and a troubled texter is that sometimes yes, sometimes no. Did I really just call myself a prolific texter? Yes, you did. <laughs> Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Our next question is titled, Iffy Invite? Dear Lizzie and Dan, hello to you both. I love the podcast and now find myself with my own etiquette dilemma I hope you might be able to help me with. I received a wedding invitation from someone I'm not a close friend with, though we are in a club together and see each other every few months. Honestly, I was surprised to get an invitation. The invites were sent six months in advance via a wedding website, which was where I was directed to RSVP. The email alerting me to the invitation was generic, in other words, not addressed to me, and said that they hoped to have room for a plus one or family, but that they would know more after the first round of invitations. This was a bit confusing to me. I am married and therefore would assume my husband could come. I do realize people have been planning weddings differently since COVID, so I suppose it's possible. I was also unable to find my invitation using the website, which has a lookup feature by name. I wrote to my friend and said I was unable to RSVP online and would love to join them to celebrate and come with my husband. My conundrum is this. I never heard back from them to confirm they received the RSVP, to direct me how to make the RSVP feature of the site work if that's what they wanted to do, or to tell me if my husband was welcome. Part of me is worried that the invite made it to me in error and they were too embarrassed to say so. This was months ago, and I have seen the couple since then with no wedding talk. The wedding is approaching, and I need to make plans if I'm going. If I am indeed invited, can I bring my husband? I'm at a loss of the next step as how to approach this. Do I email the friend again? I do not talk to them regularly or have a phone number. Should I do a little covert research by asking a mutual friend? How can I approach this politely and also let them know that if it was a mistake, I'm completely okay with that and understand. Thanks so much for all you do making the world a kinder, gentler place. Signed, invited or not. Oh, this is a tough one. It's really tough. And I'm going to take a crack at the simplest possible answer and then ask you what you think, Lizzie Post. Okay. I think invited or not is invited and their spouses too. Okay. That's my instinct because they received an invite to the wedding and mm-hmm. people are invited as a couple and it's a pretty complicated system this mm-hmm. reply via website to a non-personalized invitation Email. yeah and then there's a lookup feature with a name couldn't find yourself you sent a because there's so much confusion, I'm going to hold on to the last stable thing that I <laughs> had to hold on to, which was that you received an invitation to this wedding and you're a married person. So I would I would start from that. And then I fully understand where the confusion then enters following that event. Mm-hmm. But I, I would begin from that assumption and I would start to start to develop my approach from there. Do you think I'm completely wrong? Dear cousin, I don't think you're completely wrong, but I will say that having an ear to the wedding community, the wedding industry, I do hear of people. And I mean, you've heard it on this podcast, Dan, of people 
doing really unexpected things when it comes to weddings because they're thinking from a budget perspective. And I hear that going on a couple different ways here. Number one is that there's a very clear A and B list going on with this wedding. So clear, in fact, that they actually spelled it out for the guests, which you would not typically do, or at least it's not what Emily Post etiquette would advise you do. And I'm also hearing them say that they hope to have room for a plus one or family. And I'm guessing that means to invite a plus one or for a couple, if you're inviting a couple to invite their kids as well, if they have them, but that they would know more after that first round of invitations. I am very curious about the fact that this couple hasn't talked about the wedding with you at all, hasn't responded to the email that was asking directly, did I RSVP correctly? Is my husband actually invited? And the point I want to come to with all of this is that this is why Emily Post Etiquette has not gotten on board and said email invitations are appropriate for weddings yet. That, like, I... I... I have seen it work beautifully. My friend Gillian and her husband John got married. They used email invitations. It was my first experience with a RSVP, an online RSVP. The whole darn thing worked beautifully. But I was a single person. I they weren't worried about sending plus one to me. You know, it none of that was in play for this wedding for my particular invitation. So it was really clear to me that I was being invited to the wedding and that I didn't have a plus one and that the wedding was going to be at a summer camp in Virginia. And it was also like the best wedding I've ever been to. But this is exactly why this is too complicated for a guest to understand. There is no clarity over who is actually invited and the system it appears isn't working properly. This is just why go with your paper invites, go to a stationer, get the help you need from people who do this all the time and send out an actual clear invitation to the people you intend to invite. Coming back to the actual question of what should invited or not do, I would reach out. I, I, I like the idea of reaching out to a mutual friend, but that's just because that would be a way I would particularly typically go as Dan. Dan knows I like circle. Uh, yeah. I like circle everything before I go in for the actual confrontation. <laughs> um, but I do think that given the timeline, given the confusion and the lack of response, the next time I see them in person, I would ask them if they had time to chat about it. And I would make it very clear that I, you know, I just wasn't sure if maybe it was a mistake that I had gotten on the email list for the wedding. And I wasn't sure if my husband was invited, even though I know couples are traditionally invited together. I couldn't tell what was going on. And I am okay with anything, whether it was a mistake, and I am happy to, to not attend and just support you guys from afar. I am happy to, to come and bring my husband. But at this stage, I need to know exactly what we should be doing here. And I'm okay with whatever that is. But I, I think you've been put in such an awkward position that this is a very fair thing for you to step up and ask and, and find out. No, there have been a, a number of breakdowns of this system. Yeah. The, <laughs> the generic message that doesn't apply to the married couple receiving the invitation. Mm -hmm. The fact that your name wasn't findable on that searchable list of names. Yep. I think bo both of those are actual breakdowns in the the email system that probably weren't intended and definitely e even if you're 
going to say, okay, we're fine with the email invitations. And w- even if you were to say we're okay with the idea that you're going to wait to issue plus ones until after the first round of RSVPs, which is a whole other issue that Etiquette we just sort issue. of set yeah. aside <laughs> for the purposes of this discussion <laughs> and might be the reason that you haven't got that RSVP yet because mm-hmm. they're waiting till they get past a certain number of replies before they reply in the affirmative, which wouldn't be good etiquette on their part, but might very well be what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you're right, Lizzie. The more I hear you talk, the more I think to myself that it's important to get some clarity. And I think that you can present your confusion as coming from some very natural places that, that your host would understand why you're following up more directly and with maybe more specific questions than you would usually receive as part of an RSVP questions like, did you even intend to invite me? And I also think that you are very wise to point out all of the potential issues with inventing new systems for inviting people to weddings on the fly. That even if the email itself is a good option, that there isn't a real system in people's mind for doing this yet, or at least not a consistent one. And there's a lot of potential for trouble there. And it's well worth thinking about that when you're balancing it against the convenience of using emails to do this kind of inviting. Invited or not, we hope that you get the answer you need to understand how to participate or not in this particular wedding. Everybody tells me to be more thoughtful. Well, I'd like to be more thoughtful. If I only knew what it meant. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you're enjoying Awesome Etiquette, and we certainly hope you are, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions, content, and live calls with Dan and myself. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Rosemary, who left us a voicemail. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. This is Rosemary. I wanted to call with feedback on a question that Melissa sent in a few episodes back. I'm just catching up on some older ones. And the question was about wedding gift lists and sharing that information with in-laws. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, actually, because I just got married a couple months ago. And my in-laws think the same way as Melissa's do about gifts. And so I actually purposefully did not record monetary amounts to avoid these very questions because I had a feeling they would be coming. And we just, we didn't want to assign any weight to that metric because for us, it's the fact that they thought of us and gave us a gift, not how much it was or what it was, if it wasn't monetary. We have had a few questions from our in-laws about the gifts we received, and we were even asked to just share the entire list so that they could use this to guide what to get for those gift givers' children at their weddings. And we've had the same hesitation as Melissa for the same reasons. So I really appreciate your sample scripts, especially Lizzie's, about how to redirect the conversation around gifts 
this is such a simple way to communicate that you will not be sharing this information, but saying that in a softer way that explains why you feel this way and without being demeaning in any way. Thoughtfulness around gift giving and giving what you can and how you feel has been ingrained in me my whole life, but I do recognize that people do view gift giving in different ways, and some do not find the sort of fairness approach to gift giving as rude, and I'm sure they don't mean it that way. So I really appreciate your recognition of this in your answer and of providing many different ways that the situation could be approached while sticking by one's own values and what makes you feel comfortable. Um, also, Melissa, who asked the question, was my maid of honor in my wedding <laughs> recently. Um, we just haven't had this conversation, so it's really fun to be able to have it with you. Thank you for everything you do. absolutely love your podcast. Bye. Oh, my goodness, Rosemary. That's so cool. <laughs> I love hearing about two of our podcast listeners who are actually in each other's lives in the real world. That is that's really, really cool. Thank you so much for your compliments on the feedback and for also just sharing how you handled this same or similar, I should say, situation in your own life and with your own wedding. And may we also say congratulations on your wedding? That's awesome. We're so we're so glad. And um, this is very cool, Dan. I'm I'm like all I'm all smiley from this feedback. <laughs> Me too. And I'll, I'll second your thanks for the feedback. And I will add from a sixty thousandth of you, I am really surprised. This question generated more feedback and interest than I would have imagined. It's it's emerging right? for me as one of those pizza topping temporary <laughs> etiquette questions that I, I wouldn't have guessed, but is really um is something that's come up for a number of our, our listeners and I'm sure for a number of people out there. So Rosemary, thank you for keeping the discussion alive and for adding to it. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we have a guest who is going to help you think about how to prioritize your time so that you feel less stressed and can focus more on doing the things you love, which we all know leads to fewer rude moments. Today, we're going to speak with Julianne Stiddick, who both runs Cast Iron Babe, a great company with learning products for both parents and kids. More on this after the interview, and has 30 plus years of experience as a motivational speaker and high performance coach for elite professionals, helping them to be their personal best. Julianne has worked with Disney, Nordstrom, the Los Angeles Police Department, Lexus, and Keller Williams, to name a few. Julianne, thank you so much for joining us on Awesome Etiquette to discuss how we can prioritize our lives to be our best selves. I'm really excited to hear more. I need this information. <laughs> well, I have a big, huge smile on my face because this is really one of the my favorite things that I like to talk about. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to share what I think is a super important message. Well, it's definitely our pleasure to have you here. How do we get started on prioritizing our lives to be our best oh selves? <laughs> okay, so here's how we get started. We take out a pen and a piece okay. of paper. Okay. Take out a pen and a piece of paper. Got it. The truth of the matter is, it's really very, very simple. 
And that is that the first thing that we need to do is stop. So we all think, oh my gosh, I got to get busy doing something to make this better or improve this right. But what we're not doing is we're not stopping. So with all that is going on in our lives, everything that's surrounding us, what's happening is we're navigating boom, bing, boom, all of these different things in our lives. And we're trying to like get some grounding, you know, like what's the foundational piece? And you can't recognize the foundational piece without understanding where you're grounded and what you're grounded in, right? So in stopping is the first thing. The second thing is we use, and what I'm going to take you through super quick today with your pen and your piece of paper in just a moment, <laughs> is that um, we use our, our um, six-point high-performance life inventory. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, angels speak. And so with this six-point high-performance life inventory, we go through six different aspects of your life and take a very real cursory look at each of those areas. And then we put in place a plan of action for approval. Okay. So, or for, for improvement. So that's where we start is it first is stopping. And most of the time, you know, people have done inventories before, maybe it's called something else. They've been to an event or something. And it was like this big life moment, you know, where they really recognize what they wanted, but this is something that should be done every, every month. And oh, I'm using, okay. but I'm using the word should very purposefully Okay, uh, is that, you know, we maintain our vehicles, we maintain our cars, but so often we don't maintain the operations of our lives and how things are going. Oh, wow. And so this is sort of set up like a maintenance. So routine checklist. And can I please beg anybody listening to get a piece of paper and a pencil and a pen or a pen and a journal and to write out what they want. And when you say write out what we want, you mean anything out of life, right? It could be that we want to lose weight or it could be that we want to gain weight or it could be that we want to get a dog eventually, or it could be that we want a different position at work, like really anything, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because the, the only critic is you right? So we get to write out what we want. We want to get really clear. Then it's also in the process of this, and you're going to see this as a little bit experiential, is that we need to stop and we need to take a deep breath. So I'm going to invite you to take a deep breath through your nose with me to the count of four, okay. three, two, one. Ready? Yep. And then hold it in and just imagine it calming your brain. And now exhale, blow it out through your mouth. Four, three, two, one. Let's do two more of those. Okay. Deep breath in and exhale. And then deep breath in and exhale. So when we talk about these five points in our lives, what I want to do is kind of dive into that piece right now. Okay. So with all of those, I want to begin with, these are in a random order. 
Okay. And they're all just different areas of our lives. So we start with well-being. So write that down on line one. Okay. Well-being. Well-being. And then environments. Okay. Relationships. Mm-hmm. Play. Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> career. Okay. And time. And time. That was the last one. Time. time. Right. Exactly. Okay. So the exercise is a very simple exercise. You look at each one of those and you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 and be honest. (laughs) And is it how well I'm doing at these things? How well are you doing? Yeah, it's it's like a self-check-in. Okay. Yeah, it's the self-assessment and it's a self-assessment with total honesty. So each one of these, you're going to look at it and don't think about it too much. It's just like, okay. boom, 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 yeah, boom, How did boom. you know I was starting to think about it like, too much? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So when you're done with, with at least one of them, let me know. Okay. I'm, I am good. I've, I've got all of my numbers down. Okay. All right. What's your, what's your highest? My highest number is under general well-being. I, I gave okay. myself an eight. <laughs> I was gonna. I'm, I'm feeling I pretty good that. about things, even if yeah, they aren't. Even awesome. if the other things aren't all great, I'm actually feeling so good about life. <laughs> and we celebrate that. So that's awesome. I okay. love that. And that is the one that you would look at first, and you would say, "Okay, what's one tiny thing I can do today to increase my well-being?" Because I get a well-being that's like a nine. And my thing is drinking more water. water. That's a good So one. my good. little act for that day is I'm going to drink one more eight ounces of a uh, glass of water. Okay. okay. For me, so it would th- be going to bed a little bit earlier. I want I want to be in my room ready to be falling asleep around 10 as opposed to like 11 or 12 after being on the couch watching something fun on Netflix. Okay. So what does that mean to you? It Being means that, in bed. So what do you need to do to prepare to make that happen in your routine, in your life? Okay. I need to set a timer and shut the TV off at like 9.45 or 10 and then actually transition to my bedroom, I think. Yeah. Okay. I Got that. it. I have a plan. Okay. <laughs> so are you willing to commit to doing that today? I'm going to do that tonight. I am going okay. to go to bed at 10 o'clock tonight. Okay. All right. I love that. So it's that simple. Okay. Literally that simple. Okay. Do we want to go through one more example? Yeah, you pick the thing and I'll I'll tell you where okay. I'm at. <laughs> let's see. Let's talk about play. Let's let's do play since you like that one. That was so one what of did my, you yeah, that was one of my least least high numbers. I gave myself a five for play. I'm not really giving myself enough time to socialize okay. and play and have fun. I'm I'm doing fun things. I still play golf, but it's not as much as I would like. I don't play with my dog as much as I would like, even though I'm around him all the time. And I don't play with my niece and nephew as much as I like, even though I'm around okay. him frequently. So okay. <laughs> I'm feeling so, like there's some work in this department. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that you, what I think is interesting is that you commented on play. Oh, I like that one, right? <laughs> it's no surprise that because you're a career woman and you're an achiever and that that play is at the bottom of the list. And that's, that is a huge issue as a whole with people, mm-hmm. because for some reason, as we get older, we think that, oh, everything's got to be like all about, we got to take care of business and complete tasks. And what I say is, how can we do those things at the same time 
have an adventure while we're doing it and yeah. have fun doing it, right? Oh, I like that. And not compartmentalize it out, right? Mm-hmm. But the other piece of the puzzle is you obviously need to improve or would like to improve that area. So what is one thing you're going to do today that is a small step that could take 30 seconds or less? Ooh. What is it? I am going to book a round of golf because I haven't booked one for this week. And I really want to make sure I play this okay. week. <laughs> write that down on your paper. Okay. Write that so, down. Book. And then did you write down the glass of water on your Tea. paper? time. I didn't do the water, but I wrote down the bed at 10. Okay, good. Oh, that's right. Water was me. Okay. <laughs> so bed at 10. So okay. add water. Bed at 10 too. and a book time, book, book a tea time at the golf Love course. It. Okay. Love it. Exactly. All right. My, my life exactly. is looking better already. I am really right. liking how now, this works. It's simple. Okay. It's simple. I like it. <laughs> so really to to almost really wrap that piece of the puzzle. Okay. Almost really is that it is that easy. And one of the things that my one of my mentors taught me that has really stuck with me, Michael said, was talking about the definition of success. Mm-hmm. And so when most people talk about success, when, when I say success to you, most people will say, well, what that, what it means to be a success is that, you know, all of these things are in play. All of these yes. things are in play and they're Not grounded. And the pro- right. But the problem is that we also make it success is only if all of them are going right. So we never really feel like a success. So when we pull back and we go, okay, here's all these areas. What is just one thing yeah. I can do that's really, really easy to keep me in that forward momentum of progressing in life and growing and continuing to grow and trying to like fill out these areas of our lives rather than kind of feel like uh, the juggler who you're only touching one of them at a single point, even though you've got six or seven juggling balls in the air. Right. Exactly. And you for anybody to look at this and think they're a failure because they have a five on something or, Oh my gosh, you know, I have a couple of twos or fees. Oh, well, you know what? It's one action away. Yeah. proving in that arena. And the beauty of this is that when you recognize that when I drink eight ounces of water, I am successful. Mm-hmm. When I set my alarm and go to bed earlier, I am successful. successful. Yeah. Right. Oh, I love it. It's very small acts that you're building towards improving each of these areas. I also just want to go back for one second to what you said about how even when you're very successful in one or two or even three or four of these areas, but not in all of them, how it can make you not feel like a success, even though other people might look at you and go, wow, you're so successful. You know, that feeling of lack, it really allows you to, to have some agency and control over that lack because you're not trying to fix the whole thing from a zero to a 10 you're, you're just trying to implement one little thing that could scooch this up just a little bit more in your bucket. Right. I mean, I just had, you're absolutely right. And I was just having the conversation with somebody last week about perfect is no longer cool. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Perfect at all of these things. And, and here's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. How do we give ourselves grace in all of this? That's the bottom line. 
Because when we're giving ourselves grace through all of this, and we're actually like doing it because we care about ourselves, not because we're trying to prove anything in any way, shape or form, Mm -hmm. or please somebody else or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And that opens a whole new conversation. But the idea here is that it, it really does matter Mm -hmm. that we look at these things. It really does. I, I definitely think that it does. This was one where um, I've, I've seen the worksheets that Julianne has to go through this. And I have to say, I held off on going through them because I wanted to do it w- with you in the oh moment. Um, oh but I really, I love, I, I love this way of thinking because I think so many of our listeners and listeners, please write in and tell us, are really busy and they are juggling a lot of things. And it can make you feel, I think, mediocre at best when actually you're succeeding in a lot of places you might not be giving yourself credit for. And I know that to have that mentality flipped from a negative, from a place of lack and struggle to a place of agency and confidence, or at least um, confidence in knowing that you're working on something, even if you're not where you want to be with it yet, would greatly decrease my anxiety and um, that sense of rushing or never feeling like you've achieved what you want to achieve, maybe because you set your goals too high, or maybe because you're not taking the time to think realistically about what you could really achieve in a small chunk. You're always just thinking about that big chunk. And I could see that leading to a place where, like we just said, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, and that does cause more rudeness in our lives. It gives us less space to be present with other people. Um, I know that when I'm in that zone, I'm less likely to be patient. We just had a whole postscript on patience recently and that how those things can just increase the rudeness that we experience, that we both put out into the world and that we experience in the world. And so I love this idea of kind of these different categories, well-being, environments, career, time, relationships, and play, and thinking about how as a whole am I doing in all of these places? And where could I nudge myself just a little? Because it will make things just a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I it's, just love it. <laughs> it's so true. And the beauty and so, there's two more things I just want to oh, highlight. Please, yeah. One. So one is that this is really to adults. The work that I've done in the past, mm-hmm. I realize how much what the tool, these kinds of tools, taking them home did to impact families. It didn't just impact the individual. It impacted the family. Mm-hmm. The, the partners started doing it. The kids started doing it. They <laughs> all started making a game and building relationship out of it. And we want to, as adults, we are setting the model, the example. Yeah, how yeah, yeah. Want, how we want our younger people to take care of themselves and honor themselves. Mm-hmm. And we're the ones setting the mold, right? Yeah. We're setting that model. And so what, what, what are we putting? It's not just for us. It's for our, our families, our friends. It's for the people around us. And then there's one other thing. One of my philosophies is, is that, and I, this is no, you know, original philosophy, (laughs) the way that I verbalize it is that what we say, think, hear, feel, and act and smell, probably could go smell (laughs) all of those things put into play 
what we ultimately want for our lives. Mm -hmm. And so when we focus on where we're lacking, we're actually sending like sparkles towards that, right? (laughs) As opposed to like, here, let me give this some more power. And as opposed to why don't I focus on the things that I'm grateful for that are present, that are there, that are with me, that, that are whole in my life. Mm-hmm. And send the sparkles that way, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that is where the well-being and the connection comes into play. Absolutely. Oh, Julianne, thank you so much for giving our audience a small sliver taste of what you do in your programs, because I do think it is really cool and really useful. I want to ask you if you don't mind telling our listeners a little bit about the other company that you have started and worked in, Cast Iron Babe, because Cast Iron Babe is so cool. And you actually sent Dan and I a couple of the activity kits from it, and we got to do them with the kids in our lives. Jasper, my nephew, understands the concept of letter writing now at five years old and is very excited about it and has now written letters beyond what his activity kit had. So it just, it was a really cool experience for us. And I know that you have a special deal for our listeners. And I was wondering if you could tell, tell them about cast iron babe and and the deal. (laughs) I'm actually really excited to tell you about what we're doing. The goal of cast iron babe is based on, you know, my experience I felt that bringing families together in a kitchen um, was very powerful. It was always really meaningful in my life. And so our goal is to build cast iron, strong families. I love it. By bringing them into the kitchen together to share in practical life skills, um, turning on music, having fun, all of those things. And then at the same time, it's really what built in this idea around wanting to equip pre and elementary school age children with tools that will help get them prepared for life Mm -hmm. and build confidence and community in them. And so um, uh, what we have created is, um, and our new one just came out, is the egg and toasty cooking kit. And basically what it is, um, is that it's an, it's an opportunity for a child to spend time with a parent or grandparent or an educator. Okay. Learning a practical life skill that equips them for life. Cooking a fried egg. (laughs) Right. Right. Demonstrating common social skills that build confidence in them, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we know those are so important. And then also promoting mental well-being and strong community. And the best thing about this is like, that's not even the best part. The best part is <laughs> really fun and it tastes good. So yeah. they learn to do things like fill out an invitation, set the table, fry a cast, a, an egg in a cast iron skillet, make our world famous butter skillet toast. And then we provide them with a collectible branded um, spatula that oh, they can cute. Start building, right? <laughs> and it says cast iron kiddos on it. And then we teach them also how to have comfortable and imaginative conversation so that they feel more confident. I so they get, they get invitations, they get instructions, recipes, cooking. Conversation lessons. skills. Yeah. yeah con- there's a lot in there. So tell me, what are some of the other activity kits that you have available for our audience? Okay, so one of our family favorites, it's its the favorite product by far, is our story cards, our collectible story cards oh. that have little food characters on them <laughs> that, that teach things like what it means to be courteous, like the courteous carrot and the, oh. and the 
strawberry and then we have the brave banana so it teaches oh. them you know like like really helps them with their mental well-being and they they learn to share and they learn to trade so everything that we do all of our activities teach kids how to give back to the community Aww. um and to to be kind and generous and and really learn those character traits along with the products and those are our story cards oh that's so cool that's so cool so where can our audience go to engage all of these wonderful activities and more from you at cast iron babe well absolutely they can they can visit our marketplace i'm going to just share a link with you so you have it and you can okay. provide it to everyone and um, then we are doing the link that they're going to go through is going to give them automatic free shipping on anything that they that they purchase. Oh, wow. So, Thank you. Okay. <laughs> that is so You're awesome welcome. and generous. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I just want to say thank you to you for oh. really honestly for the opportunity to share what I think is a really important message with the with all everyone right now. Yeah. No community and connection and having confidence and understanding. I think those are, those are really big skills to be nurturing right now. So well, it is definitely our pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, and I really appreciate all the wonderful things you're extending to our audience. And so thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. You bet. Bye-bye. <laughs> We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have a salute from Alana in Chicago. Alana begins, At a recent dentist appointment, a hygienist noticed my six-year-old was nervous. She took the time to let my daughter touch the tools, smell the toothpaste, and just generally get comfortable with the experience. I appreciated this lovely person picking up on my daughter's anxiety and helping her to calm down. It made all the difference for my little girl, and it gave me a nice little boost of, there are good people in the world. Alana from Chicago. Oh, Alana, thank you so much. That is a wonderful salute. And I, I've got to say, I have noticed that hygienists and dentists in general, over my lifetime at least, I feel like they've gotten really good about handling nerves, whether you are four years old or whether you are six years old or whether you are 96 years old. It's, it's, I, I really appreciate it because it is something where you don't see what's going on and being done to you. You can't like take your eyeballs out and look at your mouth. It doesn't work that way. And it is really impressive to see how well those in the dental community are handling the anxiety around different procedures. So Alana, thank you so much for this awesome salute. And we're so glad that your six-year-old girl had a really good, good visit to the dentist because of it. Thank you for the salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and to everyone who supports us over on Patreon. Please do connect with us. Share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and your salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostins. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. 
please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find Awesome Etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.